Welcome back to Mostly Ghostly with your hostlies, with the mostly. Matthew Fisher, myself, and Ray Booten. How are you doing over there, Ray Booten? Doing good. How about you? Not too shabby, not too shabby. Uh, how's the weather over there? Everything good? Two clouds around, warm side, humid, but I'm enjoying it. Can't beat it. Cannot beat it. Yeah, we've been getting a little bit of rain back and forth uh, here. Uh, you know, little bursts of it, but I like the rain all as well. We got some more coming in later today, I heard. Well, I like I like the heat. Everybody else goes crazy, and I get happy at 90 or above. Yeah. Well, you know, you like it hot. Some like it hot, as they say. <laughs> but uh, speaking of hotness, we're going to hop into some uh, The Warrens. Uh, for this episode, the famous investigating duo, husband and wife team, uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren. You know, the, their stories have spr- sprung off numerous films, you know, uh, like the Amityville Horror film and most recently uh, the Conjuring films to the series in itself, you know, counting Annabelle and all that, which is, as far as current horror goes, I mean, that is... Um, I'd be curious to break it down and see what actually made a bigger splash. These Conjuring films when they came out or the Amityville Horror when that came out. Because every now and then, you know, some classic films get um, not the appropriate respect upon their release. Like, you know, John Carpenter's The Thing was not, you know, not loved as it is now when it first came in the theaters, you know what I mean? But uh, The Conjuring from the get-go was... People uh, loved that, fell in love with it, and they still support it to this day. And I think even the Annabelle movies has a couple sequels to it already. So it's it's a, it's a gigantic universe, and uh, it's making that green stuff, making that money, and uh, people love it up. You know, there's merch for it everywhere too. You know, so it's one of them things. You know, the Warrens. I don't think that they were. Um, I don't know. It, I wonder where they're. How much of this money made that money made it back to the Warren uh, compound from all the all that stuff that they've you know done? I know that they had a big lawsuit that we'll get into you know a little later in the in the show, um, but yeah, that you, you don't think of how much money has been kind of circulated uh, through that through the, their investigations and stuff. You know what I mean? Yep. Now, how how far back do you remember the Warrens going in your 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 spiritual journey, Ray? Uh, not that far. I saw them pop up now and then, a uh, little bit about them, but didn't pay a lot of attention for the most part. Uh, for a long while, I didn't either go public myself or didn't pay a lot of attention to the people who were uh, keeping up high public profile yeah yeah i agree um i probably fell into them with with with, you know investigating more into the haunting of the emneville horror myself being a big film fan and horror fan in general books and such um that was how i i found out about the warrens and then later of course when the conjuring came out it was a big boom too you know one of these days we'll do an episode on the there's there was like a big paranormal boom within all all kind of um, 
entertainment. You know, around the same time, I'd say they were they had TV was booming with ghost shows. Conjuring was out. Um, all types of all types of you know other other you know loosely. I wonder when the where where you would put magicians. If the magicians, when remember when the magicians were having, um, you know, they had all those shows on, like the Masked Magician, and they were giving away the secrets. There was a period of time when those were really big. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Right now, um, I think a lot of the ghost shows are making a comeback. Yeah. There's uh, one particular channel that it's pretty much twenty. It is twenty four hour ghost shows. They're pulling them from everywhere. And you could just sit and watch for hours, uh, marathon those things, one at, one type after the other, investigations, uh, what's caught on camera. And certain areas, it's, it's gotten, it's gotten big. It stayed there, I think. And it's reinforced because of the, how popular, uh, horror films are that people go back and forth between trying to look at the real in the investigations, at least what they present as. And then, uh, Look at the horror film. They love that scare, that mystery. Yeah, truth. The um, yeah, I mean, it, it, when when did you first recall seeing these paranormal, um, you know, shows? Because I know in the nineties they had some. I'm surprised that there's no paranormal channel yet at this point in the game. You know what I mean? Like, which is 24 hours a day paranormal stuff, whether it be movies, talk shows, medium shows. You know what I mean? All that type of, you know, stuff that fit into fit into that format. I think that there'd be uh, there's big enough audience for it that, you know, they could definitely have one on one. I've seen some other sh- side side channels that are you know not not Channel Sevens and your know, Foxes and like that the big channels, but you know more independent channels. I'm sure they could pull off something like that. You know what I mean? It'd be simple enough. Well, well, right now the Travel Channel is uh everything i've seen on there is paranormal um that i can remember a time when you went on there and you had uh different people who would actually travel and they might uh try foods around the world and then you started to get into uh people traveling to exotic locations and doing the history of it but once they hit the paranormal and that started to take off all the other shows have disappeared there now the travel channel is strictly paranormal uh, all the time every day well it makes sense because if you've exhausted everywhere to go eat dinner in, in every every part of the world the next place to travel to is the afterlife right <laughs> especially if the food wasn't that good exactly maybe it put you in the afterlife um, uh, yep but yeah interesting interesting take but uh, so yeah, we'll jump into the Warrens here. You know, they're not too far from us. They're Connecticut based, if I remember correctly. Uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren. You know, uh, Edward Warren Miney, born September seventh, nineteen twenty-six, died August twenty-third, two thousand six. And Lorraine Rita Warren, uh, born January thirty-first of nineteen twenty-seven. And uh, she passed away on April 18th of 2019, not too long ago at all. Um, They are known to be American paranormal investigators and authors associated with prominent cases of hauntings. Ed was self-taught and self-professed demonologist, 
author and lecturer, and Lorraine professed to be a clairvoyant and uh, light trance medium who worked closely with her husband. Uh, and in the 1952, the Warrens founded the New England Society for Psychic Research, uh, the oldest ghost haunting group in New England. Uh, they authorized numerous books about the paranormal and about the private investigation into the various reports of paranormal activity they encountered. They claimed to have investigated over 10,000 cases during their career. The Warrens of among, um, are among the first investigators in the controversial Amityville haunting. According to them, the NESPR uses a variety of individuals, including medical doctors, researchers, police officers, nurses, college students, and members of the clergy in its investigations. Uh, their investigations have been adopted into dozens of movies, television uh, series, and documentaries, including 17 films in the Amityville Horror series. Well, I might say yikes on that. And seven films in the Conjuring series. You know, The Conjuring will eventually catch up with that, but uh, I forget how many, f 17 films in the Amityville Horror series, that's kind of uh, overkill stuff, but um, that's because I think a lot of uh, distrib distributors are able, Amityville Horrors, I don't know what the story is, why you see this a lot, but um, you see a lot of Amityville Horror films like made nowadays because the distributors would just change the name. I think it's because if you could just do Amityville Horror and then another name, that's all fair, uh, fair to go, you know, no, no, no lawsuit threats. Um, because yeah, it's one of those series that they bang out a lot, a lot of sequels too. Um, and, um, I don't think these films are typically supposed to be sequels of, the Amityville Horror. I think that they just have there's some similarities amongst uh, the story that they see, and they can go, well, let's add Amityville to the front of this name, and do the Amityville school bus, and uh, people pick it up because we're piggybacking on that name, that Amityville name, you know. Oh yeah, any anything to get that film out there. Yeah, it's uh, so I don't think that realistically. I'd say out of those 17, maybe seven probably actually were made to be a part of the series. We'll see. But uh, what I wanted to do real quickly is I wanted to kind of run through the top 10 most famous um, paranormal investigations done by the Warren family, you know, Ed and Lorraine. Are you ready to go on this journey with me, Ray? Oh, yeah. Are you excited? Always. You must be very excited. Okay. So first up, we got the Perron family. And uh, in 1970, the Perron family moved into an old farmhouse in Rhode Island, not too far from us. It wasn't long before their dream home became their worst nightmare. Carolyn, Roger, and their five children witnessed a tall woman in a gray dress roaming the house. Ed and Lorraine investigated uh, the home uh, and discovered that the woman was a 19th century witch named Bathsheba, uh, who had sacrificed her baby to the devil before hanging herself from a tree in the backyard. We call that cow, cow blood. 
Bathsheba was a constant penetrating force in the house and fought with Caroline for dominance. Caroline's daughter, Andrea, recalls her, the witch, uh, loathed by my mother, and she lusted after my father. My mother was never allowed to resume her rightful position as mistress of the house. Uh, Andrea added that it, it wanted to be the dominating force, and we fought, uh, we fought it for a long time. I guess we know who won as we left, and the, the ghosts are still here. They lost. They lost the fight. What would you think about that one, Ray? Um, I don't. I don't know. Did they they lose the fight, or they just walk away from the fight? Well, that I guess that's all depends on who you ask. You know what I mean? But um, I guess it could have been too big. It was too big. It was a little too big for him to fight, and I don't blame him for for getting out of there. If 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 the if issue is out of your hands and. Uh, there's really no winning outcome on the other side. I'd say you might you can bow out respectfully with no shame to your game. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, definitely. You know, you know when to cut it, when to uh, get the hell out. Nope, this isn't for me. Can't do it. You gotta know when to hold them and know when to fold them, right? That's it. Rest in peace, Kenny Rogers. All right, number nine. Famous, one more famous now, Annabelle, which I'll say the, uh, yeah, I've never really been a big fan of the whole Annabelle thing. You know, I like the Conjuring films, but the Annabelle twist was a little, a little too much. I don't, the doll was a little too much. The doll's been overkilled, I think. But, uh, yeah, but, yeah. Maybe the overkill, but for a lot of people, they find the doll aspect the creepiest. I know. There are people. People that are creeped out by dolls, and it works perfectly. And also, if you talk about hauntings, you have an object there that something can use. Yeah. Uh, a negative energy, a spirit. You have a, a vessel for it to use. True. And uh, when people already look at some dolls as creepy, and then you open that door and that doll becomes possessed, it's perfect. Uh, it's it's a perfect possession. It's a perfect ghost story, and it can make a good movie. No, I don't. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I'm not hating on the movies. It's just not my cup of tea. I, I like. I, I'm more of a ghost. I'm more of a see thing, ghost thing. You know. And yeah, I know you can see Annabelle too, but I don't know. I just think that the the doll and you know she she's real deal. So it's it's kind of you know her story go probably goes back just as long, if not further, than all the. You know, the ghost stories, uh, not ghost stories, but the doll stories we know in horror films. You know, I don't think she predates that that famous, great Twilight Zone episode with the, uh, I don't like you, doll. I think I hate you, doll, you know. Uh, uh-huh. But, uh, yeah, so I give up respect. I just, I'm not going to go rush out and watch the movies. But it's all right. But next up, we got Annabelle. Why, did you, did you catch the movies and like them, or... Uh, no, I didn't catch the movies. Okay. Um, I've got nothing against dolls. Right. Um, did you play with them as a child? No, I didn't even do G.I. Joe. I did like dinosaurs and, uh, different things like that. (laughs) What you would find in the older creature features. I played with monsters. I didn't play with dolls. You're a better man than me. The, um, so we got Annabelle here. 
All right. Ed and Lorraine, uh, their Warren's, uh, Warren's Occult Museum is a permanent home to the Annabelle doll, which is kept in a special protected case. In 1970, this Raggedy Ann doll was given to a 28-year-old Donna. It's pretty old to get a doll, and it wasn't long before she and her roommate noticed that Annabelle was moving around the apartment on its own. They also found random notes scrawled out on parchment uh, that read, Help us. At first, they thought this was all a prank, but when the events worsened, they decided to call a medium. During the seance, they were able to contact a spirit named Annabelle, who had died when she was seven years old. Ed and Lorraine heard of this and wanted the woman uh, that uh, warned the woman that the demonic presence was manipulating the doll in a, uh, in a bid to find a human host. After the Warrens witnessed Annabelle uh, levitating, they removed the doll permanently from the apartment and placed her in a sealed glass case at their museum where she remains today. What do you think? You think that is there any significance to the the glass sailing her in, or is that just strictly for the purposes of you know uh, being on display? Like, is there any spiritual reason why, like maybe it can't escape? It would bounce off of the the, the clear glass or anything because you got mirrors and stuff like that. What, what's the tie-in with that glass? Do you know if any? What do you think? I don't know if it's so much the glass. Uh keeping the spirit in i think it's more preventing anybody from coming in contact with the doll and that therefore when they do that then they're open to possession they wanted to isolate the doll and at the same time um have people be able to look at it so they put a case now whether they put anything in that case uh like in the bottom or the top to hold the spirit there i don't know um i know that with mirrors if you look at uh Oh, mirrors used to have a silver backing. They don't anymore. And silver can draw energy. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I don't believe that doll has any any part of its case being uh, silver or being a mirror. I think it's just the glass is more a case of uh, and whether they use some sort of spell or not. I don't know. It's just to isolate the doll so no one goes up and says, "Oh, isn't this nice?" and touches it and yeah. makes that contact. That contact is really what can uh, bring on possession and other problems. Truth. Yeah. Um, number eight, uh, the Snedecker house, the Snedecker family, you know what I mean? Um, in, the ni- in 1986, the Snedecker family moved from New York to Connecticut so they could be closer to the hospital that was treating their eldest son for cancer. The family home on Meridian Avenue in Southington that they had purchased was a former funeral home, although had, they had to make this chilling discovery on their own. Oof. After renovations on the house were complete, Carmen Snedecker entered the basement for the first time. There, she found embalming equipment and body tags with the names of the deceased. The family soon realized that the house was infested with demons. Carmen witnessed the water in her mop bucket turning a different color. wonder if it was red. Uh, she recalled the mop wa- water was blood red. I guess I spoke too soon. I mean a deep, deep red. It made my skin crawl. Then the middle son said the lights were coming on and off and on and off, even though there was no bulbs in it. 
Ed and Lorraine uh, assisted in performing an exorcism on the house, which has brought closure to the family. Since then, no further paranormal activity has occurred. Yeah, I wonder, you think the their kid having the cancer, that's dark. That's like dark as is. And then they move into this this old funeral home, which, what a bummer that they, they would don't have to tell you and you find out that your house is a funeral home. Especially that way, it's almost like they left all the per- perfect evidence down there. Don't you think that the people doing the renovation would have, like, threw that shit out? I don't know. Uh, craziness. But, uh... I get, and whenever you hear of water turning a different color, it can, in the paranormal world, it can usually only turn one color, which is red, deep red, deep, deep red, that makes your skin crawl. You know what I mean? How well, you, I can think yeah. I can think of a couple different things. One is, and we've mentioned this in episodes uh, of Mostly Ghostly before, yeah. and that in many traditions... It's three days before the spirit fully moves on. And if you have people, when the people have died, if they haven't been at peace, they may still be attached or to the body and they might become trapped in that funeral home. Right. They're not letting go. Also, doing a little bit of deep digging, supposedly the undertaker was a little strange and did some things with those bodies in there that he shouldn't have been doing. And that could have upset the balance of things as well. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. And I wonder if that that is a more common act than we know. Like, like the only reason why that word doesn't get out like the same way it does with something else bad like that is because the victims are already dead. What do you think about that? You think that that that, that necrophilia is an issue amongst? Uh, you know the, the 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 funeral home community behind locked doors. I don't know if it is or not, but there's there's anything from that to uh, organ harvesting, um, using the bodies or the body parts in different rituals. Uh, there's a lot of potential in there for misuse. I'd like to think that uh, it's uncommon, but that place, uh, looking into the history of it had a reputation of something going on there uh, with the people who work there. And that casts a shadow on the place right off the bat. Especially if it was in there. It happened in there, you know. Oh, yeah. And you've got these souls that have just died. They're, they're uh, trying to move on, and all of this is happening. And particularly those that may have died a violent death and they're having trouble moving on. They're getting trapped. And the dark energies of the evil that people are doing <clears throat> excuse me, you're opening a door right there for them to come in and reside in that place. I expect that uh, if you're doing, if you're doing, if you're doing the deed with a dead body to begin with, it's kind of a weird situation, I'd say. But if you're doing, a, if you're, if you're, if you're having sex with a body that's been violent death, or, me, or like me, where it's all fucked up, I, that makes you a more special type of person, I'd say. Don't you think? I don't know. Special's the word. Special's um, right up there. But if, if you're doing anything, and like I said, whether it's illegal harvesting, whether using the bodies, the blood, or anything in in rituals, uh, yeah. whether it is the necrophilia or not, you're doing all that and not paying respect to the person that has passed. Then 
you're dealing with death in a disrespectful way and you're opening a door for a lot of problems to come through. Unless you're given the reach around and showing respect that way. Hooking it up. Um, so we'll get into a different subject, I guess, right? I think so. <laughs> Next up, the Enfield Poltergeist, which I believe this was made famous by The Conjuring Dose Part 2, I think. Um, the Enfield Poltergeist terrorized a small London house in Enfield suburbs between 1977 and 1979. Single parent Peggy Hodgson and her two daughters, Margaret, 13, and Jeanette, 11, experienced furniture being thrown around, small objects flying across rooms, and picture frames falling from the walls. The children would find themselves levitating out of their beds. These paranormal events were witnessed by the neighbors, journalists, and even police officers. The younger daughter, Janet, had also begun speaking in a deep masculine voice, which was believed to be the spirit of an old man. The family had received a lot of negative attention in the press as the young girls were accused of attention-seeking behavior. When Ed and Warren, uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren investigated, they found it was a case of demonic possession. Janet later admitted that she had played with the Ouija board before the disturbances had begun, and that she was unaware that she fell into the trances until she was later shown the photographs. Well, there it is with the Ouija board all over again. Opening, opening portals when you don't know what you're doing. Showing its ugly face up in here. Um, this is, I, I actually liked this Conjuring movie. I thought that this was very creepy. Um, did you ever see any of the Conjuring movies, Ray? I think you dig them. Uh, no, I saw the first Amityville. And that was as far as I went with those. I haven't seen the Conjuring. You know, the Amityville horror is a classic. And people, do, I, don't, I don't think people give it as much respect as they should for being one of those older horror movies that would actually really creep you out and um, has its moments. And if I remember correctly, it has like a weird PG-13 rating. I think it might be one of those films that have, um, like, they're a little too extreme for their rating. It was before the ratings were starting to go crazy. Um, but then again, this was a time when I think, you know, horror movies were being made, weren't as big. They weren't being made by just anybody at that point. They were kind of being made by, like, big, respectable horror directors, so, like, they were a little better than your usual, you know what I mean? Yep. Um, but, I, uh, yeah, I, I think that one was good. The way they touch on that with the old man was really creepy in The, in the Conjuring too. Um, so, but I'll move on to the next one real quick. Number six, we have The Donovan Family. In the early 1970s, Ed and Lorraine Warren met with a terrified Donovan family at their house. I wonder if this was Donovan that sings all those great songs like Hurdy Gurdy Man and Season of the Witch. Um, on arrival, the Warrens witnessed loud pounding coming from inside the walls, paling wallpaper, water running down, blood red, gotta have your blood red in there and beast-like noises echoing throughout their home. That's scary. The Warrens questioned the Donovan family. Had they purchased any unusual secondhand items? 
or had a family member passed away recently. Nothing was discovered until the youngest daughter, Patty, made her confession. She had used a Ouija board to communicate with a teenage boy who had died in the neighborhood ten years earlier. That's creepy. The spirit never revealed his name to Patty, and the Warrens knew this was more than likely a demonic entity disguised as the boy. Very creepy. The Warrens immediately called for a priest following an exorcism. Life inside the Donovan home slowly returned to normal. Ted Donovan's brother, who was a famous singer who wrote the song, Hurdy Gurdy Man and Season of the Witch. Just joking. Uh, Ted Donovan's brother, who was a witness to the possession and the exorcism, wrote in a report, I, nor anyone else in my family, have ever before witnessed anything so weird and terrifying. Um, the Ouija board strikes again. More reason not to play with Ouija boards out there, children. All the children listening, Ouija boards are bad news. We'll have an upcoming episode. It gets closer and closer. It's coming. Um, but yeah, what's your take on this one, Ray? Um, okay, again, the Ouija board and a portal... Yes, they could have opened something up. I think there was probably something more there, something more in the house before that. Yeah. Uh, possibly prowling the neighborhood or in the house that identified with it that made it easy for that uh, Ouija board to, to uh, made, made it easy for that to access the Ouija board, made the energy there. I'd be curious if anybody did any research on what happened in that house beforehand let's say uh previous owners or maybe what happened on the land mm. in that area a I single use ouija board can open something up but it but they're talking about being that severe and everything that it's showing um there would have to be something strange about the family or the place when a, when, a, when a portal's opened up, do you think that's something that's just very vast, or is that something as small as, like, a doorway? Like, how common is it, do you think, would be for something to... Like, is it something that you can open up a portal and there just happened to be nothing there at the time, or is it big enough that I think, you know, you're going to draw in something? What's your, what's your thoughts? There are things on the other side that are going to take advantage of an open portal. They'll try and move through. If they can. They're not all negative. But the negative ones will be looking for a way to come into this world. To affect this world. And if there's a portal nearby, they're probably going to try and use it. They're probably going to try and come through and use it. Uh, portals can expand. Um, and there are ways to close them down. If you if you open one up and it's slowly expanding, you're going to draw more and more through. And you've got a serious problem there. Do you think it's a portal, something like a, like a, that as soon as it happens, everybody kind of, whoop, turns their head or whatever and sees it, or do you think it's something they have to stumble into? I think it's more like when you toss a, <clears throat> a stone in a still pond, and a ripple, the ripples go out there. Yeah. And someone's going to notice it, they're going to feel that ripple, and turn around and spot that portal, someone or something. Yikes. And it's going to draw those things in yeah. uh, so they can access this world. Makes sense. 
Yeah, the, the, the patty, the thing with the daughter with the patty, that was creepy because she said she talked to a teenage boy that died there 10 years ago. Um, just that it was so, like, wrapped into it. You know, like so, uh, you know, the, the elaborate, it's like an elaborate story, so to speak. And I felt that it was trickery right from the get-go, you know what I mean? But it's that, the... Uh, the, you know that the, the, de- the demonic being going so far and having the intelligence enough to say, "Hey, she ain't gonna like what I am, so I'm gonna have to tell her I'm th- I'm this person," and probably give her a big wraparound story about how, you know, death wasn't his fault, and if she could w- only wish and pray so much, or maybe not pray, but only wish and hope so much that he could come back to life, maybe that it, he might bring. You know, give the power, give the power over type deal. You know what I mean? Or be far worse, make physical contact and be a real issue. You know what I mean? Um, but I, yeah, it was when as soon as I read that, I was like, ooh, yeah. And then you know, I mean, we from from you know, hours and hours about talking on the subject of how you know the demonic uh, entities disguising themselves as you know older folks or younger folks to kind of trick people is. We've been going, talking about that since probably the first episode. We're pushing 30 episodes and we're still talking about it, baby. Oh, God, it comes back to that uh, if you take something demonic and you take something evil and a child opens up a portal. Yeah. It's going to present in a manner that's most attractive to a child, which would be as another child. Yeah. And try and get some sympathy, try and get them to... uh, do what they want to do. I mean, they are tricksters. They're yeah. not going to present, uh, evil is not going to present in its true form. I mean, otherwise no one would have anything to do with it. It's going to present as everything you want. And if you're a child, if you're a child, as another child, as a friend, as someone you can help. Yeah. It's true. Well, we're up to our next one. The Smurl family. In 1974, the Smurl family went through their own personal hell after moving to West Pitson, Pennsylvania. Janet and Jack Smurl, their young daughters, and Jack's parents all lived in the house together and suffered the worst 13 years of their lives. The paranormal activity began when their home renovations were found to be destroyed. New wallpaper peeled from the walls, freshly printed windows cracked, Strange odors filled every room, and disturbing voices were heard throughout the house. Janet even revealed that she was molested one night in her sleep by a malevolent force. The Smurls were terrified and decided to contact Ed and Lorraine Warren for help. Lorraine discovered that the Smurl family home was infested with four spirits. An elderly woman who was harmless an old man who had died at the house, a young and violent girl, and a demon that controlled the other spirits and had turned them against the family. In 1987, the family decided to leave the house for good. Two years later, a church-sanctioned exorcism took place there, and the property has been cleared of all activity ever since. So it sounds like that demon, like... He has like a a group of like uh, ghosts that have nothing in common with each other. 
It's what it sounded like. It was a real smorgasbord of uh, things. You got the an elderly woman who was harmless, an old man who had died at the house, who they seemed to be like innocent. And then there's a young violent girl who I, oh, that you know that's why she's kind of on the bad track. Uh, there ain't no good chain gang as Johnny Cash says, but you know I feel like those first two people aren't as bad as maybe the second, and uh, the last one being a demon that controlled the others. Um, why do you think you would have four good spirits, so to speak? I guess who's to say they're good, but they don't seem as bad. Um, you think they're being just kind of tr- because they 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 it happened in the house that they're under they're imprisoned by the bad ne- negative energy themselves. I think they're trapped there because what is negative is feeding off their energy. So they're imprisoned by that. That sucks, huh? They're, they're they're staying there maybe initially because they had an attachment to the house that may have been good, but now they're trapped there. Their true nature is still benevolent, but they're trapped there because this negative energy, this uh, demonic energy, is feeding off their energy and not letting them pass on. Yeah, I almost like my take on serial killers. What I assume that to be like is I I assume a serial killer to almost be when they die. It, like that same situation where you have these other spirits that are around, but they're enslaved by the person that took their life. And yeah, they might be able to somehow rise up and escape that person after death. I feel like it's incredibly hard, but I feel like for the majority, that's probably what it's like being killed by the super evil fucking serial killer that's just racking up bodies, so to speak. I almost feel like it has the Freddy Krueger effect not to bring a fake thing into a real thing. But, like, how he carries all the kids' souls in him, and, like, there's a scene with the faces on his chest and stuff. But um, something like that, like, it's almost like you... I hate to be weird. It sounds very weird and dark, but it's almost like you gather up these points throughout life, and then you have them when you're dead is kind of how I look at it, the way that it would be almost in a hell type... I guess maybe if you had a, your spirit was right, then you might be able to go elsewhere. But, like, for people that are middle of the road or something, uh, I assume, I don't know, I... Uh, Ray knows more about these things than me, but um, that's how I always envisioned like a serial killer situation after life to be is where because you killed these people and that they they die and the fear of dying and all that and with you it's an energy that you kind of suck in their energy and then when you suck in their energy and they die you kind of still have their energy within you type deal so like they're a slave to you does, does this make any sense to you? They could be the uh, evil spirit yeah. or the evil soul of the living serial killer lives on that energy and lives on that fear. Um, as for their being trapped, I don't know. I don't think it's necessarily so. Yeah. I do believe that when you have very strong negative entities on the other side, they can draw the energy from others that have just crossed over and trap them there. Uh, that's a very common thing for them to gain more power and to become more powerful. They use the other's energy to manifest more into this world, to bridge that gap and to affect this world. They use the energy of those that have passed, that they've yeah. trapped. Uh, they're energy vampires, basically, uh, but from the other side. So, yeah, I, I just think it, it's that's a, r- a rugged group of people, of, of spirits, rather, with the... 
you know, an elderly woman uh, who's harmless, which I assume her to be almost, if she, it says she's non-threatening, so, like, she's non-threatening. An old man who's died at the house, you know, he just kind of died, so he's there. Uh, and the, then the young and the violent girl, you know, that's kind of understandable with the s- situation and the scenario. And then a demon that controlled the other spirit. So, like, it's almost like, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe the young girl brought the demon in and the, the ghosts were already there. It's weird. You, you could do a big family melodrama movie about good spirits to get a demon in their house and they start communicating with the living and then the demon takes over and ruins everything. And it's a big uh, family after death type movie. Very nice. The two parents and the daughter. The living daughter, the two dead parents. And Well, actually, that's Beetlejuice, isn't it? And then a demon comes in. That's exactly what Beetlejuice is. So, hell, there you, there you have it. Let's go rewatch Beetlejuice. Well, if you, if you were to have a situation where the parents died and they had an attachment to the daughter, they may stay around initially to help the daughter yeah. because of that attachment. But when evil shows up, it uh, again, it uses their energy, it draws their energy yeah. to uh, be able to manifest and be able to cross over into this world, even to the point of using, potentially harming the daughter. But they're helpless because it's, it's taking all of their energy, all of their force. They can't move on and they can't do anything. So they're trapped. They're enslaved. Yeah, they are. See that's ugly. That's um, so you want to be you want to be the you don't want to be you know it, it's kind of like in life you know how there's certain people that kind of just let life kick them around and stuff and they get beaten down and such you know and, and, and the same thing's probably in death which you'd, you'd hope you'd escape from that you know what I mean that's scary that's that's like sad because I feel like um, to go into the energy thing we've talked about before, with everybody's got their energies in the afterlife. But if yours, if there's a more stronger energy around you that wants your energy, it's like give up the lunch money. You know what I mean? It's really it's dog or dog eat world. Even in the in the afterlife, is what it sounds. You know. Well, if it's demonic, it's a bully. Mm. So it's yeah, it's bullying the other spirits, so to speak. It's feeding off them, living off them, using them. A lot of people just got discouraged in the last five seconds of our conversation. <laughs> They're hoping for better days after. Well, yeah. if you are in the right place yeah. and you are a good person, the odds of something negative trying to manipulate you are very low. I would say the naive are those that uh, just cross over and hold on to something in this world. It's much easier for something on the other side to uh, manipulate and use them. But a good person usually, I would say, uh, is not really something that that negative energy that evil wants to try and attach to because it's opposite. Light and dark do not attract each other. One cancels out the other. Yeah. truth. I got our next one up. Number four. The Demon Murder Trial. Um, this one was an interesting one. They're all interesting, I shouldn't say that. Um, in 1981, 19-year-old Arnie Cheyenne Johnson fatally stabbed his landlord, 40-year-old Alan Bono, with a pocket knife more than 20 times. It was the first murder to have occurred in Brookline, Connecticut in 193 years. 
Shortly before the murder, Johnson had moved in with his girlfriend and her brother David, who claimed he was being tormented by a demon. The family of Johnson's girlfriend called in the help of Ed and Lorraine Warren. They performed an exorcism on David, which successfully expelled 42 demons in his body. During the exorcism, Johnson dared the demons to enter his body instead. One month later, with no history of violence, he killed Bono in cold blood. In court, Johnson's claimed that he was not guilty by a reason of demonic possession. However, he was found guilty of first-degree manslaughter and received a sentence of 20 years. He only served five years due to good behavior. Um, what do you think of that? What's your take on that? Uh, I don't know about blaming it all on the demon. Yeah, I think he was, uh, he was a, a opportunist. I think an opportunist also, and I want to know who kept count and how did they identify that many demons coming out? Yeah, that was a lot of demons. Um, but then again, I mean, who supposedly did it? The church, the church do it? Let me see here. They performed the next... Oh, they did it themselves. So supposedly they performed it. So it would become... Whether it's either truth or they're, they're spitting off lies... But how, yeah, what we would, yeah, that's a long fight. That sounds like 42 demons. Is a demon something that you would have to exercise one individually, or would you have to, uh, or can you get them all out with one, sh one shot? Uh, if it's particularly strong, or if there is more than one, you'd have to do it repeatedly okay. uh, to completely clean it out. I mean, I think it's in Mark where the phrase, uh, uh, the sentence is, and I'm not sure if it's the exact words, but it says, uh, my name is Legion, for we are many. And it's referring to demons. That's no good. That's gangster. That's something gangster to say to somebody, though. But, um, sheep. Yeah, this is, yeah, the 42 demons is pretty heavy. You know what I mean? That's a heavy situation. Um... That's got to be intimidating too. If it, if if it, you know if they were really taking these things on, like the aspect of that. But if you got you, you know your beliefs on the side, you know faith is there's very few things more stronger than faith in this world. You know as long as it's true, honest faith. You know what I mean. Uh, I think if you if you do a little digging, I think that uh, the church admits to investigating but not doing the exorcism. Yeah, interesting. And investigating could be anything, realistically. They have a strict criteria uh, before they do an exorcism, and if they don't think you meet it, you don't get the exorcism. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard of that. All I know is that the church supposedly, when they, when they, have, people, when they have people that molest kids, they, 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 they hide them away, even, but their secret gets released because the kids can grow up and tell their story. But then in a situation of a funeral home director who they can't tell their story after and they do necrophilia. See how I brought it all the way back around? Wasn't that nice? Oh, yeah. That was a sweet moment. Um, number uh, number three, Union Cemetery. Um, so this must be a cemetery so haunted that they, they had, the bigwigs had to get involved with this situation. 
There are many eyewitness accounts of the white lady who haunts the Union Cemetery in Easton, Connecticut. It is known as one of the most haunted cemeteries in the United States. The white lady has also been seen walking in front of people's cars as they drive along Route 59 late at night. Concerned drivers believed that they had hit a person and excited their vehicles only to and exited their vehicles excitably only to discover that nobody was there. The white lady uh, name came came from witnesses saying she wore either a white gown or what appeared to be a wedding dress. She wasn't wearing a Boston Red Sox uh, outfit. I don't think it's so. Never a Boston Red Sox outfit, you know. In 1990, Ed and Lorraine Warren set up their cameras in the cemetery to record the investigation. Shortly after 2.40 a.m., they heard the sound of a woman weeping, and a female uh, form had begun to move several feet in their direction. As Ed approached the woman, she vanished from sight. Nowadays, the cemetery is known to close after sunset. A lot of these things are in Connecticut, which isn't too far away. I wouldn't mind doing a little car trip and hitting them up if they were close to each other. Uh, unfortunately, we were going to talk about it later, but we might as well bring it up now. But unfortunately, the museum that they had in Connecticut's closed, right? I think last thing I read, unless they recently reopened it, last thing I read is it's closed, so no access to Annabelle now. I wonder what they do with that stuff. They can't just go put it do a yard sale. That defeats the whole purpose of the whole entire thing, you know. Well, there are people out there, if you auction it, there are a lot of people out there who would pay big money for the original Annabelle. Uh, some of them are celebrity ghost hunters, and some of them are just people that are fascinated by it. I heard Annabelle 17, that's the plot, where they, they, they shut down the museum and somebody picks Annabelle up at the trash or in a yard sale. And that's that's how they, that's the plot of the movie. But I don't know if that that doll's going to be too happy about a yard sale. Someone's trying to bargain you down, bargain down the price on you when you're a haunted doll. That's why it's the most violent, violent of the films. It has the most balls, they say, because it's got that the true the true edge, because it's angry in a bone. That's what, how they bring her back. They rejuvenate. Rejuvenate for uh, a newer audience. It's very scary, very dark. Very dark stuff. Yeah, I want you to watch The Conjuring 2 when you get a chance, and let me know your opinion. I think you'll like it. I'll look around, see if I can find it, give it a look. I haven't seen Part 3 yet. There's a Part 3 either out or about to come out, I don't know, once, once they start opening theaters up. But um, I think you'll enjoy it. I thought it was actually scary. Like, I remember watching it actually being scared, which was good for a newer movie to do to me. But uh, next up is The Demonic Werewolf in London. This one doesn't seem too prom. This doesn't sound too promising, we'll say. But uh, I'll start the story a little bit like this. Bill Ramsey was considered living proof their werewolves really do exist. Born in Southend on Sea, England, Ramsey recalled an event in childhood in which he felt strange before a powerful rage came over him, and he was able to uproot an entire fence. As an adult, 
he would witness his face transforming into a wolf and his hands twisting into claws. Ed and Lorraine Warren became involved when London police officers reported being attacked by a werewolf. Ed said, This was the first case of the lycanthropy that we had ever come across. I interviewed the police officers that were actually attacked by this man. Now he stands about 170 centimeters, which is about 5'7", and weighs about 68 kilograms, which is roughly about 150 pounds. But he could take some of these police and throw them all over the place. They were bigger than him. They were like 183 centimeters, a.k.a. like six feet. And he would throw those motherfuckers around like they were kindling wood. In 1989, the Warrens convinced Ramsey to come to their church in Connecticut and undergo an exorcism. During the event, Ramsey's face contorted and he launched on the exorcist. Then all was calm, and the exorcism was a success. Since then, there have been no incidents recorded. So they bring people to their their church to do the exorcism, which actually which sounds like the better idea because you're you're on home court, you know what I mean? Yeah. Then you could I bet by the by the things that you could have in your exorcism room to battle off any bad vibes is probably definitely good, uh, you know, good protection. And, you know, you could probably build something so they can't they can't really come forward. You know what I mean? I'd assume you know can't leap out. But if you can get or a, var- a variation in a Faraday cage, which is an energy field around there, as well as um, rituals, things of protection, whether it be salt, um, you tar water, a whole variety of different things like that to be able to seal the room. So if anything comes out of the person, it's trapped in that room, and then you can deal with it. Yeah. Yeah, it's. Um I definitely going to somebody's house after knowing you could have that situation, that hookup of doing it at your own place is, you know, wild. So I wonder, but you know, you got those ones that are bedridden, like like Linda Blair and The Exorcist. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Now that was a that was a movie that uh, I really enjoyed. I don't know. Have you ever seen a director's cut? I have all copies of that, I believe. Great movie. Love it. I think it's the scariest movie of all time. Uh, I have nothing but good things to say about The Exorcist. William Friedkin did a stand-up job, you know. He has a... He, he, he did a whole psychological... He has a psychological spin on it, which was nice, you know, and... Uh, yeah, anybody out there who, who hasn't seen The Exorcist, check it out. It's one of the... That's a... Mostly ghostly recommendation, The Exorcist. Especially if you can get a hold of the director's cut. What they left out of theaters was creepy. Which part? What? What? Uh, what are you speaking of off the top? The scene wise. Uh, when she leaves the room and she's like crawling on her hands and knees, but it's upside down on the ceiling. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They do. There's a cut. I don't know if it's. There's been a couple. There's an extended cut and a director's cut. Um, and I remember they did like an like a, some type of re-edited cut like in the early two thousands. Uh, they put it in theaters for a little bit. I went to go check that out too. But um, yeah, there's a spider walk scene that that was cut out of one of them. I think there was one called the version you've never seen before, if I remember correctly. There was like a cut actually called that. Um, 
And that had the spider walk in it, which is when she walks down the stairs um, like a spider, like backwards. It might be more, but it's probably the same motion you're thinking of. Um, but I think it happened on the stairs. Uh, yeah, I've, I've got that version. It's been a long while since I've looked at it. Yeah, it's um, yeah, that is a crazy that is a crazy moment. I, they probably didn't put that in the movie because they didn't want to really hurt anybody's brain because that's uh, that movie is very dark. And it's like when you when I think back at least of like the time that it was made in, and um, you think of things like the the. The, the the crucifix scene with her like being a, like I grew up in the church like we've talked about in the past so like I was even when I first seen that I was even like whoa so I can only imagine what like older folks of religion back in the seventies thought of that when they seen that I could definitely see them fucking throw up all over their shoes with just outrage like oh what you know what I mean. But, but that that's part of why that movie is so great. I mean, it's I'd love to like hear more. I'd re- I'd love to read a book on what it was like to make and release that movie. Supposedly, that movie's cursed. A lot of things oh, yeah. have happened to the people that were involved in that movie. Bad things. I can't recollect what they are, but I've come across that uh, as far as actors and other people that are involved in that that had some serious problems afterwards kick back to uh we have an episode called um horror movie mashups i think it's called oh no um it's the mashup episode just go check it out i think it's like uh episode 10 or 12 somewhere in between there and um it's where we it's us shock treatment with mel and maddie and the boom cast you know they join us the mostly ghostly team to talk about most hot, like the most cursed horror films, and uh, we talk about The Exorcist uh, as well as some other films. So check that episode out if you haven't. Uh, yeah, that that was an episode done before we got popular, I guess, and got a bunch of hits. But it's a good episode. I dig it. So yeah, The Exorcist is always a classic film. I put that right up there with our number one story. Uh, the Amityville Horror, which we'll, I'll talk a little bit about that movie real quick. Big fan of the movie. It's one of those movies, you see those movies when you're young because it's like a Hollywood, um, you know, it's like a Hollywood, uh, like a nicely put together, all budgeted Hollywood, usually a good director, horror film. Um, and it, like I said, it's a movie that gives you a lot of I, scare, packs a lot of scare punch, I'll say, for for the film that it is. Um, there's some really creepy moments in it. You know, it takes a gag, like anybody, like there's a gag uh, that happens in the basement. I won't spoil it too much, but there's a gag where there's just some like, there's an effect that's very old old school and kind of, I guess you could say was played out uh, or has been become played out. Um, but it's so, it's like very effective. And the Amityville Horror, it like gets me. It's the way they set it up and everything, where it's not they're not just relying on the effect, but they kind of build, you know, great suspense before it. So when you get hit with it, you're like, whoa. Um, but with saying that, we go into the Amityville Horror. Yes, that 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 house with the face shaped like it has a face with the windows. That 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 house, the Amityville Horror House. 
And uh, on November 13th, 1974, at 3.15 a.m., Ronald Butch DeFeo Jr. killed his parents and siblings with a 35 caliber rifle while they slept peacefully in their beds. Butch later told the police that once I started, I just couldn't stop. It went so fast. Following the following year, the Lutz family moved into the house on Ocean Drive in Amityville. A priest was called in to bless the home and warned the family, do not use the upstairs room as a bedroom and do not let anyone sleep in there. Within days, they knew something was wrong. Their young daughters made an imaginary friend with a red-eyed pig. Uh, foul odors filled each room, uh, furniture levitated, and banging occurred throughout the night. And we're not talking about sex, ladies and gentlemen. We're talking about beds banging on floors, but not the way you're thinking. Uh, throughout the night, they fled from the house, as anybody would, you know. Uh, when Ed and Lorraine Warren investigated, they discovered that the land had been used previously by a practicing black magician. He had requested to be buried on the land, and the remains uh, are there to this day. Kathy Lutz said, Things of this nature happen quite frequently, and when they happen to families, they usually close the door and they don't talk about it. And unless these things are talked about, they'll never be understood. Um, yeah. I've all, my question with the Amityville Horror thing is when that guy originally killed his whole family, it's like, wouldn't, they, wouldn't somebody have heard the gun going off? Like, they, should, they should have, yeah. Supposedly, they ro he roamed through the house and like shot everybody in their beds, but I feel like after you, um, at least those two first two people were shot up dead, I think people would be out of their bed. Like, I don't think... Like, when he killed his parents, like, I don't think that they just... The, the kids just chilled in their bed, like... Ah, uh, hearing gunshots, and I don't know if the kids were in the same room, um, but you're gonna get, get you're gonna get the fuck out of your bed uh, if someone's shooting a gun in your in your fucking you know in your house, and it's not the biggest of gauges of, of rifle, I don't think, but uh, it's still enough to wake you up. Well, I know from a personal experience. Um I live in an area that I've got uh, woodlands next to me. And at one time, we had some problems with some coyotes. Yeah. And some came into into the area. And my wife and I were at home. And I could hear pop, pop. And both of us headed to the back of the house, got the cell phone ready to call the police and hunker down and get ready in case anything went wrong. Uh, until we noticed all the lights flashing outside and the police were there. It was the police and it was a coyote that attacked the lady, which they shot. Because it not only attacked her, it circled around and even when the police were there, it came back and tried a second time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and that was something that happened. Oh, I'd say three residences down. Um, it happened outside and we were inside and you could still hear it. When they took their shots at the uh, coyote, yeah. So it's yeah, uh, a gun going off in inside the same house. Someone would have woken and someone would have reacted. I don't see how they could sleep through it. They should have at least halfway come out of it, maybe gotten out of bed to investigate. I I find it hard to believe that uh, you set a gun off and oh, I didn't hear anything. 
Yeah, it's very um, suspicious. Um, yeah, let me see here. What do you think about the black magician thing? You think that uh, of the, the whole thing coming from him? Uh, I don't know. Um, I think that sometimes... Well, I have number one. I'd have to do research to find out who the person was and that what they were into. But it's very easy to if someone does something different. Uh, oh yeah, that was bad. That was nasty. And depending upon the time frame, uh, if you go back, uh, I don't know, you go back fifty, sixty years, someone could be doing something that is wicked, which is not evil, and someone would have said, "Oh, there's witches over there." throwing curses around and we're all going to be damned so it's perception i'd want to know more about the individual before i blame him for uh what's going on in that house yeah yeah i agree with that another good film we recommended the exorcist but if anybody hasn't seen the amityville horror check it out both good books as well we'll do a little book well, we got a little list list of books over here. We'll do for the the, the bibliography of uh, the Warrens. If anybody wants to kind of read up on any of their um, their hauntings and such, we when we talked about their movies for a little bit. Um, but um, yeah, we got um, there was a book uh, in 1991. I that's when the first book they kind of put out, which was Werewolf: A True Story of Demonic Possessions. I wonder if it goes into the werewolf theory there. I don't know, but obviously they didn't want to get any in any trouble, so they didn't use a silver bullet. They wanted to save the person. Yeah, there you go. You got to think ethically now. Um, next, uh, Satan's Harvest. That book I picked up. You know about that that famous story of the kid that we that we read on uh, one of our haunted Massachusetts runs about a gentleman who, unfortunately, his father sacrificed him to the devil like before he died. Uh, and then he like killed himself all, the father killed himself in front of him and his mother like all terrible like the worst like worst stuff you could imaginable type stuff that happens to a human being happens to this dude and uh, they she got they were a part of that the hunted aka the haunted uh, a true story of one family's nightmare um, terrifying right graveyard. Uh, true hauntings from an old New England cemetery. Also, Ghost Tracks, Cheryl A. Wicks wrote it with them, and uh, Ghost Hunters, true stories from the world's most famous demonologists. But uh, they they do have some uh, some some skeptics that don't quite believe them. You know what I mean? And they get criticized, as you as you would assume would come with such things. And um, we got, according to a 1997 interview with the Connecticut Post, which is their, their, their stomping ground over in CT, you know, Steve Novella and Perry DeAngelis investigated the Warrens to the New England Skeptical Society, the NEWS. They found the couple to be pleasant people, but their claims of demons and ghosts to be, at best, as tellers of meaningless ghost stories, and at worst dangerous frauds they took the $13 tour and looked at all the evidence the Warrens had uh, for the spirits and ghosts they have a ton of fish stories 
about evidence that got away. They're not doing good scientific investigation. They have uh, predetermined conclusions, which they adhere to literally and religiously. According to uh, Novella, Lorraine Warren said that uh, the problem with the Perry and, St- with Perry and Steve is that they don't base anything on God. Novella responded, it takes work to do uh, solid critical thinking to actually employ your intellectual uh, faculties and come to a conclusion that actually reflects reality. That's why scientists, that's what scientists do every day, and that's what skeptics advocate. Uh, Which right there, they're being a little rough on them. But this goes to the whole thing, if you're going to, that we talked about before, like if you're going to dwell in the spiritual realm, you almost have to, believing in God is like a must in that realm. What do you think? Uh, believing in something beyond something, uh, believing in the supernatural, if you're going to delve, delve in that realm, uh, what very few people realize is there's some old terminology, and we're talking about uh, BCE, before the common era, and you go back hundreds of years. Yeah. And some of the language at that time, uh, when... One of the translations on one of the words for supernatural actually translates to a god. And that's reflected in some of, some of the religions. Uh, the most common one, that, or the easiest one to bring to mind right now for myself, is if you take a Judeo-Christian religion, and you look at the Old Testament, and where it says uh, about uh, putting God before other gods... Back then, they believed anything supernatural, they attributed it was a type of God. So there's something out there, and the belief in that, um, if you choose to say it's one God, uh, is critical. If you dismiss all of it at the beginning, then let's say there is absolutely nothing. You're doing what the you're doing exactly what the, you're accusing the believer of doing. In other words, the believer says, yes, there is. Mm-hmm. And you'd have to understand that. And refuses to accept anything else. And if you're saying, no, there isn't, and you refuse to accept anything else, you're making that prejudgment. You're not doing, uh, you won't be able to do good research if your mind is already made up. You have to keep the mind open. Otherwise, the research will be tainted. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's interesting because, you know, they're almost in that state that if you don't, you know, don't believe in God, you can't believe in, like, a spiritual and ghosts and stuff like that. Which I almost put them hand in hand, God and ghosts, you know what I mean? Like, they're in the same thing where a lot of people that believe in God will often claim that that's why ghosts can't exist is because, you know, it doesn't talk about them in the Bible and stuff. And it like, kind of proves proves the... You know the, the the whole heaven and hell thing to be kind of a little fractured in the way that it's pushed because, you know, if 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 it was you either go to heaven or hell, how do you explain these ghosts that are here? You know. Well, I think that if you're going to investigate, what you have to do is you have to say, and this is from an investigative point of view. Okay, potentially, potentially, there is more than this world. I mean, science even says so. Yeah. So, okay, now what I'm going to do is try and find out what that is. 
and not in your mind ha- have made the decision it is a ghost it is a demon it is a it sounds a lot like from the number of demonic things that the Warrens ran into they were very very much uh, believing that 90% of what out, what's out there is demonic yeah. and it, it, necessar- it isn't necessarily so Better be safe than sorry. I'm not. I'm not saying abandon your protection or your beliefs, but I'm saying keeping an o- keep an open mind. No, I, yeah. It's an interesting take. One of these days, they'll all, they'll all buddy up and figure out the the keys the keys to the world. But that's uh, yeah. They got caught some criticism. Do you remember they had that lawsuit over the Conjuring a while back? I heard about it, but I don't remember much about it. Yeah, it was uh, author author Gerald Brittle filed the lawsuit against uh, Warner Brothers, saying that he owned the stories to the book because when he wrote the, a, a book for featuring them or about them called the Demonologists, um, supposedly they sold him the rights to all their stories so he could write that book. So he claimed that he owned. Um, you know, he owned, ever since 1980, he owned the whole Conjuring haunting story, you know what I mean? They tried to get him with um, saying that it's historical facts, but then he, he said, you know, they're ghosts. You proved to me that there's really ghosts, and then you can call them history. Um, so he kind of tried to make them call their bluff on it. Originally, he tried to get $90 million out of Warner Brothers. Um, which wow. Is, yeah, which is, a, you know... He didn't get it. He did get a settlement. Uh, it's funny. He, he took a lower cut, and he eventually came out and said that one of the producers from the first Conjuring movie, who I guess wasn't a producer by the current Conjuring movie, was pushing him heavy to do the lawsuit because he that producer felt that he was owed money and was just trying to be like a thorn in the side of Warner Brothers, which is a bad, uh, that's bad news to get caught up in. Um, he'll probably never... There'll never be no interaction between him and uh, either one of the the old uh, the brothers ever again. Um, but yeah, and I remember I, he- I heard some story. I don't know if it was this dude. It could be where there was a claim about uh, him saying he added to stories. Like he had he took their story, but like he also embellished on it because he was an author trying to juice up the story. So, like, his whole thing was, you know, the things I embellished on made it into the movie, so I, I, I deserve, you know, credit for that type stuff. But they did give him some... This guy did get some loot, so... Uh, depending on... I mean, he was lucky enough to catch that, but like we said before, like, The Conjuring, those movies made some big fucking banks, so I'm sure that he was... He was realizing this and was like, "Hey, wait a second! Don't I own? Don't like I own this story? Why am I not? Uh, why am I just trying to sell books? I need to get some of that conjuring movie money." But yeah, what can you do? That's that's the world we live in, right? Very scary. But the Warrens, some of the most famous investigators, uh, wouldn't you say? I'd say, um, and obviously right now, both having passed over, 
they have the answers to all their questions as far as their investigating goes. Do you think that they would be met with, you think they'd have more power in an afterlife because of them knowing so much when they were alive? Not necessarily. Um, They're going to go in there, it's going to depend a lot on where their spirit is and how they they crossed over. You think negative? What? You think, ne- you think negative energy would be there waiting for them to bully on them because uh, they tried to they cast out you know in forty two demons in that one circumstance situations like that where they upset it or they upset a lot of people in that realm um, or not even people I should say upset a lot of entities in that realm and I assume that they have memory and probably hold grudges and want revenge like isn't that that part of the evilness of man supposedly is the wanting vengeance and you know all that all that great stuff that c- comes with all that and um, the you know you think that that's still there in that that realm that they'd have to keep like watch over their back people would be gun- things would be gunning for them or do you think that it'd be uh, what do you think on that? Well, I think it might be it might be, but I think a lot of it at the time of crossing, where was their spirit? Where was their orientation? How much accepting were they? Uh, ready to move on, ready to move up, so to speak. Uh, how much of it, uh, some of it may depend upon their belief in the divine and how uh, close they were to that belief. And there's a lot of things that will play in that. I don't think they're necessarily trapped. I think that they just have some answers now since they're over there on that side. Yeah, I'm sure they were, uh, it's interesting, I'm sure that they're, uh, you know, were good on spiritual, I'm sure by the end they were good on their spirit, as long as they weren't like, had anything tagging along with them, which they could have, I mean, wasn't that museum part of their house, if I remember correctly? The museum was in their house and that presents a problem as far as uh, where they lived and what may have attached, whether they were aware of it or not. And uh, that could, that could definitely have an influence there. Also, it will depend upon whether, as they became famous, did they keep their orientation, or did they keep themselves focused on doing good work, or did they do the work eventually uh, more for the notoriety and the fame? It depends upon what path they followed later on as they got famous. Well, they could. You think they can still? They can still be good and famous. Oh, they they, they can be. Though yeah. I think that that's probably a bigger problem for a lot of people than they uh, realize. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I, I don't. I didn't really stumble into how the husband passed. Do you know how he passed? No idea. She. I think she just passed of natural causes. But he died um, like ten, like ten years before, roughly. Maybe more. Yeah, yeah. Rumor is that they were uh, buried in a haunted cemetery down there in Connecticut. That'd be interesting. I mean, I feel like they're probably doing all right in the afterlife. They got each other now. You know what I mean? I feel like you think spirits that are you know cl- people that are close in, in in life. Do you think in death that they're they're uh, you know still around each other and protecting each other and stuff? Or do you think that they're you know, in different spots. 
Well, recently, um, someone passed that I knew about, never met. Yeah. And uh, that was relayed to me. And the person who related to me, I gave a physical description of that person. And they said, yes, that's that's them. And I said, well, who's the old man? And I gave the description of the person and told them about the person that was with them. And they said, well, that was her husband who passed before her. And I just relayed the message. Well, you know, it's it's good. You can be calm because you know that she's with her husband, the love of her life. Yeah. He, he was there waiting for her. And I think that that happens quite a bit. I mean, we've talked in the past in other episodes how families gather whether it be parents and grandparents and uh, husband and wife, how it all changes and how they all come to greet us and help us pass along. Now, I imagine that would have been the same with the Warrens. Uh, and that would say, I would say that that would probably rule out any negative entities attaching to them or doing anything on the other side because their loved ones and the higher powers over there would be waiting for them to help them on their journey. Yeah. Yeah. There's no spiritual throne room with uh, Ed and Lorraine sitting at wearing crowns. Crowns of the paranormal <laughs> field. Just regular no, owl. No, I, I, I really don't think that, uh, you know, here's your, here's your suite, there's your crown. Um, I got a funny feeling that isn't uh, exactly the way it's going to be. That's not how it goes, huh? <laughs> well. Well, in that case there, what I want is I want a log cabin out in the woods. I don't want a crown. I want a, some, so the spiritual version of nature around me. Yeah. And I love log cabins. And if I'm going to have anything that relates to this world at all, that's what I want. I want to be living out in the country in a log cabin. We can put a bunch of those Yankee Candle, um, you know, Christmas tree refreshers, those smeller things in, in, in your coffin, and that's kind. Of, isn't that kind of like living in a log cabin when you pass? I don't know because that's the body. You're not there anymore. I mean, the war the warrants were supposedly buried in a haunted cemetery, but it doesn't matter if the cemetery's haunted if they pass through. That's just the body that's there. Well, yeah, every haunt, every cemetery is haunted, though, right? We've talked about that before, I think. Oh, yeah, I've, I've been in a couple of haunted ones, and I've seen uh, what can best be described as a white lady floating around. Yeah. Well, in my youth, I like used to like to go into cemeteries at night. Yeah. Peaceful. Very. Until the one time I was walking and something grabbed my leg. That freaked me out. But outside of that time, the rest of them were good. What grabbed your leg? What do you think? Would you see anything? Uh, I didn't see anything. There were no bushes. There was nothing. I was just walking uh, in an area where there was cut grass and something grabbed. I don't know what it was because I didn't hang around to find out. I nearly pulled a muscle yanking my leg forward, and then I took off at light speed. Yeah. Well, I was a, I was a teenager. I didn't think to turn around and see what it was. I just wanted out of there. No, I hear you. 
I'm with you. Yeah. You think it could 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 have been a person, or think it was definitely a paranormal thing? I think it was a paranormal thing. My different perspective now is I yank my leg, take a, take about four or five steps, turn around, and say, "Okay, what the hell are you doing?" Kick it in the face. I don't want to see it first. Then you pop it with the pistol. Put it down. Oh, I don't know. A couple of sacred symbols and a few prayers might work well. If you, if you, if you, sh- if you were walking, something grabbed your leg. You spun around. It was something you've never seen before, like, like some type of weird cryptid creature, and it was it was coming at you, and you had to pu- pull the pistol on him and put him down. What would you do from that point? Would you tell? Would you tell the public, like, go tell the authorities to come collect him, or would you take him yourself, try and freeze him? Do some taxidermy on that motherfucker. <laughs> a true cryptic, I think. Uh, cryptid, I think I'd probably call the press. Yeah. Taxidermy. And like, get get pictures of this first, okay? I, I want to make sure that you know you you get the pictures of this, and then then we'll get the authorities involved. I don't want it to disappear without documentation. It can be called a bootin. Did you see that booting over there? I don't think I want it named after me. It could be a whole new world, a whole new species. You're the guy that you're the guy that found the booting. You can write. Your I own don't know. Books. Some people who don't like me probably call me a whole new species. Oh. I'm not going to say what type. You're in a world of your own. Then you're in a whole new whole new class of your own. If you're you're. You're too good for the human species. It's almost like <laughs> Heaven's Gate type stuff here. But uh, no, I think I think as far as the uh, the haunting goes, and uh, once you're in the cemetery, for the most part, I think that um, it is a peaceful place, and it is just the body. I know that uh, in one cemetery I went into, there was a grave and. It's kind of like a concrete replica of the coffin mm. sitting there above ground. And on top of it, there's this metal ball. And if you read the story, the person was killed by that metal ball. Mm. It was shot from a cannon. Now, I'm thinking violent death buried with what killed you. That's a, that's a formula for a haunting. Yeah. A, no, a normal death, I'd say no. But the Warrens, um, it's going to be tough. You're always going to have skeptics. You're going to have people that are going to attack them and question them. Mm -hmm. The problem you have is when they they were getting attacked, they dug their heels in. And that is what happens when when people get attacked. So we're never going to really know all of the details. They would take a lot of research um, into, uh, you know, was there... A magician at that house. What was that person doing? Who were they actually? And did they call up entities? I don't have those answers. I would say that uh, if there was that negative person doing the negative things in the home, yes, it would lead to it being haunted. It would have opened up some portals. It would have let some things through. And the next ones in there, they would have paid the price. Yeah. 
truth. When you're right, you're right. This New England uh, society, psychic society, for research there, they still around, you know? I don't know. When doing some research on the Warrens, it's the first time I heard about it. Yeah. I know that there are a bunch of uh, paranormal investigative uh, investigating groups around, but I never I never heard about that one before. I support it. Shit. Uh, would you like to say anything uh, anything else about the Warrens before we head out? Uh, if you're going to look at their work. I mean, you can enjoy the movies that were based on their work for what they are, their movies and their entertainment. Uh, if you're going to look directly at their work, uh, give them the benefit of the doubt, look into the work to see what it, what it is, and apply your own uh, critical thinking to it. And don't necessarily dismiss everything. Um, it starts off with there being something there, if it's a haunting, uh, for people to call them in, to call anybody in. Yeah. So you have to start off with, okay, there's something weird going on. And then you just take it from there and take a look at it and see what you think about it. Yeah. Based on your own experiences, your own training, or your own beliefs. Yeah. Um, even if they were to exaggerate things, what's your opinion? Do you think a little exaggeration is good for the business of you know, the paranormal, because, you know, even if they were to be fibbing um, or exaggerating, the the attention that they're getting the whole field is probably not a bad thing, making it more mainstream, you know what I mean? Um, I understand. I, I, also I disagree with the exaggerating. I also understand the, the, the unfortunate part of, of lies, though, because then it, it takes away credibility. You know that, that, but I wonder if I'm trying to, you know, end on a positive note with the folks in case, you know, because just because people do speculate against them, uh, and even if they were to be, even if they were to be found exaggerating, I think that, um, you know, at that that level, they probably became characters within the, you know, the production of paranormal celebrity. Um, so, I feel like they might have let some things go, but uh, it's—I don't know—I almost feel like it could have, you know, could have put helped shed more light on the paranormal culture, um, breaking more into the mainstream. But I do agree that falsehoods are bad because then it ta- t- starts to tear down and deteriorate the, the truths that you're you're seeking, and and people are discovering and. There's a lot of people out there doing honest, hard work, um, deciphering the reality between the non-reality, and um, it kind of spits in their face a little bit, slaps in their face a little bit of uh, doing all that hard work. But I think it is, it's it's almost they become they became Hollywood, you know what I mean? Uh, before they even became Hollywood, just in the press. Uh, so like you know, if you you lend your name to something, you're going to help something out. Situations like that, you know, um, the New England Society for Psychic Research, you know, I'm sure that's probably done some good things and probably got to the levels that it got to because of their fame. Um, so it's a it's a it's a it's a two sided sword, you know what I mean? You know, you gotta be well, 
I think that uh, when they started out, and probably right through to the end, their uh, purpose for doing it was good. Yeah. I would probably say that the exaggeration can be in the press in how they portray it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you kind of want to overbuild it if you want to shoot someone down because then they can never live up to it. Yeah. There's that possibility. I don't doubt that they were good people trying to do a good thing. The other the other side of it is that, let's say, once you become known uh, dealing with demonic entities, well, what's going to happen is other people that have a similar problem are going to come to you. Yeah. So now you're at the forefront of dealing with demons. Yeah, true. And so, so now you're making the headlines. But it's only because you did successfully that you got more people to come to you. And if you do it again successfully, and that builds your that builds your story up, and then the naysayers attack you more. Yeah. So it's a tough position. It's a tough position to be in. I think that uh, the basic thing is they were good people trying to do a good thing as to how much, whether it be Hollywood, uh, the skeptics, or the press, played with that. I don't know. I've got no idea. No. But I'll say that... Uh, they did uh, a lot of good for the paranormal by getting it out there. And I would say just take it for what it is. There were two people there that uh, did investigating and did help people. Yeah, no, I agree. And uh, that was very good. That was a good eulogy. And we'll end the show on that. Rest in peace, Ed and Lorraine Warren. You know what I mean? Dedicate their whole lives to the paranormal culture you know what I mean so that, oh, has, yeah. that has to be recognized and you know it is what it is it's it's great uh, it's a great entertainment at the end of the day you know whether they smudged a little bit or they they went for, they went for the the honorable ride but uh, yeah and they, they've through them there's been a lot of uh, good light shed on the culture culture as well as maybe some not so but it is what it is nobody will never know until we sit them both down on a episode of mostly ghostly and interview them personally which we plan to do one day oh really oh yeah so keep on listening that'll be interesting once we get up there we're going to start interviewing pet people that already passed uh-huh like uh, you, you so sure we're going up there yeah we're going oh. up there are we taking the train down? Oh, no. We'll see. If we go to go down, I want my return tickets before we leave. Oh, I'm sliding down, screaming, laughing. <laughs> oh, no. What a world. Well, we'll figure it out. And uh, we'll catch all you lovely folks on the next episode of Mostly Ghostly. <laughs>